Hello and good evening. Welcome to another episode of Between the Presets, a podcast by me, Rudy Stetner, that comes out every Monday evening. Here is the place where anything that can be said in polite company is fair game for discussion, even if it occasionally offends. Let's roll. Please be advised that this episode of Between the Presets contains material that may be unsuitable for younger audiences. If that is an issue, please listen at another time or on headphones. Thank you. Hello, listeners. It has been a very interesting week for free speech. And if we're going to discuss free speech, we should also mention responsible and helpful speech and destructive speech. These are concepts which might be very difficult to legislate. In a very well-publicized case, um, an unknown person, a person who was not, whose name was not a household name, applied for and received from the Swedish court permission to burn a Torah. The Swedish courts gave permission to this individual to appear in front of the Israeli consulate uh, or Israeli embassy in Sweden and to uh, conduct the burning. The individual turned out to be Salwan Momika, who was an Iraqi refugee living in Sweden and a comedian. He showed up not with a Torah scroll, but with a bound copy of the five books of Moses. And he held a lighter in one hand and the bound copy in the other, tossed the lighter to assembled reporters and said that he was not, he would not burn the uh, five books of Moses or any other book considered holy by anybody. And he said as follows, if you want to criticize Islam, that's okay. But burning the Quran is not freedom of expression, but an act. And freedom of speech has its limits. It's interesting to note that Salwan Momika, who was described as an Iraqi refugee, was Christian and not Muslim. Christians in Iraq and throughout the Islamic world have not always had the easiest time of it in terms of just basically going about their lives. Salwan Momika did a very good job of reminding us that not everything in our lives is a question of rights. It's also a question of responsibilities. It's not just a question of being able to say whatever you want, but a question of how we, how we say what, how we say what we want or what we feel needs to be said. It should also be noted that Islam is not monolithic. There have been serious questions of free speech and freedom of religion within the Islamic fold. There are Sunnis and Shiites, a country, uh, Iran is a 
Shiite majority country, and it's not always easy to be a Sunni in Iran. And uh, conversely, Pakistan is majority Sunni, and there have been problems with uh, of tension between Sunni and Shiite uh, Muslims. There's also a group such, uh, uh, known as the Ahmadiyya, who in Pakistan are not even allowed to call themselves Muslim. They are not allowed to use the greeting of Salam Alaikum because that implies that they're Muslims. And there are restrictions on uh, their the building of their houses of worship. Within Islam, there is uh, a body count to intra-Islamic tension. And not only that, it should be noted that there are religious Muslims who do not engage in violent or terroristic behavior, who would be and are deeply offended by, for instance, a Koran burning. Just as Islam is not a monolith, it's not a united block of believers, but a set of denominations under the Islamic umbrella, the same holds true of Christianity. In France, the Huguenots were ruthlessly hunted down and massacred by the Catholic Church, culminating in the St. Bartholomew's Day Massacre in 1572, which sparked off a series of uh, pogroms and purges that spread across France and in which thousands of French uh, Protestants the Huguenots were massacred. There were also the followers of Jan Hus in what is today the Czech Republic, who broke away from the Catholic Church about a hundred years before Martin Luther. Many of them were burned at the stake. So both Christianity and Islam went through uh, stages of development where opposition to the politically dominant force uh, form of Christianity in whatever part of the world enforced its hegemony with violence. In the United States recently, you had Day of Hate sponsored by neo-Nazis, where they would go in front of uh, synagogues and hurl profanity at the congregants coming to worship. Then, of course, you had the Westboro Baptist Church, uh, a, a tiny congregation in Topeka, Kansas, that is infamous for uh, flying around the country or driving around the country and having demonstrations in which they applaud the death, for instance, of servicemen 
who died defending the United States, saying that it was punishment for America's promotion of homosexuality and uh, other forms of non-biblically sanctioned uh, sexual behavior. So far, the court seemed to have defended the rights of these obnoxious individuals. Now, I remember when I was a kid in Massachusetts, if a person used vulgar language in public, they could be arrested for public profanity. Just like nowadays, you can't um, uh, smoke a cigar in a closed space and make people nauseous with your cigar smoke. It was commonly understood that certain types of language were just not acceptable and that public spaces should be free of such language. It's perfectly possible to express a complete and full range of religious and political beliefs and restricting the language that one uses in expressing those beliefs. One might think that with this uh, promotion of the anything goes attitude, you can use whatever offensive language you want or engage in street theater, that freedom of speech would increase. But if anything, political free speech is under attack as never before. Take the case of Taylor, Taylor Lorenz, a so-called journalist for the Washington Post, who took offense to Chaya Reichek, who came out with the uh, Twitter site, uh, Libs of TikTok, which simply quoted and posted um, arguably outrageous things uh, put up by clips posted by people on the extreme left, clips from people uh, promoting gender and racial ideology that she, Chaya Reichick, disagreed with, which was her right, and she was only quoting uh, and presenting to the public these uh, discussions on the internet. So what does Taylor Lorenz do? She doxes uh, this uh, woman who started the libs of TikTok, making it known where she lived, where she worked, uh, where her where her kids went to school, all kinds of personal information that served the sole purpose of intimidating a citizen into using their protected rights of free speech. Then, of course, there were organizations that doxed the justices of the Supreme Court. After the overturning of Roe v. Wade, instructions were posted online of how to get to the homes of Supreme Court justices. Although this is 
sharing information. It should not come under the heading of free speech. It is to the contrary an attack respectively on the free exchange of ideas and on the independence of the judiciary. Then there is the matter of campaign finance laws. Arguments were made that if a candidate is going to be financed in his or her um, electoral campaign, it should be known whose money is behind it. So there have been numerous cases of people whose names were published, names and addresses uh, in compliance with these campaign finance laws. And demonstrators who disagreed with the support shown for a particular candidate or idea went and picketed their places of business. Telling someone, I know where you live and I can come to pay you a visit anytime I want, that's not free speech. That's the total has the total opposite effect. It is a thuggish attempt at intimidation. Now, there is a principle in law that if you, you could pass a law to address a situation that needs correction, and the law can have unintended consequences. Some people wanted to pass laws against Holocaust denial, in which uh, the argument is put forth that the Holocaust never really happened, it was only a million people, or maybe no people, or whatever. This is usually propaganda under the guise of revisiting and uh, correcting the historical record. It should be noted that some people, that there are people who have argued that the, fill, uh, that the figure of six million Jews killed during World War II was an underestimate. But one doesn't usually hear about that. There have been questions of whether this uh, offensive speech should be outlawed. Uh, there are people who want to pass laws against Holocaust denial. I disagree with this. I think it is one of the instances in which passing a law has unintended consequences. It is an instance in which the antidote to free speech should be more free speech. What has already happened is that you have the, the phrase being used, climate change deniers. Then you have vaccine deniers. And then you have election deniers, people who say that the election of 2020 was stolen which all of a sudden, now that it is Trump supporters uh, supporting uh, allegations of fraud, is a crime, where when it was the election of 2000 with George Bush, that is, that's totally acceptable to say that that election was stolen, since it was an election which a Republican won, and was contested by by Democrats. Election denial, 
vaccine denial, climate change denial. It's almost like a piece of malicious code has been injected into the body politic and has been used to stifle free speech, needed free speech. Just like I I can and should count my change before leaving a store, Uh, A certain measure of distrust in, say, counting votes or allowing votes, etc., there is a place for that. At the outset, the Internet uh, seemed like it was going to be a marketplace of free ideas where anybody sitting in their sitting in their living room or their basement or whatever, could get their opinions, get their information out to the public. What has in fact happened is you have Google uh, skewing search results so that certain, certain opinions, certain articles can't be found because they determine that they're quote, misinformation, which really should be translated as information I don't like. Then, of course, you have Facebook and Twitter and Instagram uh, suppressing the flow of information that does not favor their candidate or their agenda. At the time of our nation's foundings, founding, uh, we had Newspapers, and we had broadsides, which were leaflets, which were, I guess, posted on public bulletin boards. There was no radio, there was no television, and certainly there was no internet. Now, the landscape has changed. One can invest months, years into uh, posting content, and find that it's been taken down because it involves, because someone says that it violated community standards. That indeed happened to me. I posted some things on blogger.com and I received an email that my blogging violated community standards. What community? I don't know. Now, I cannot even privately access my own content. I have thus far been unable to uh, contact a live human being at Blogger, which is not surprising. It's actually easier to post X-rated content than it is to uh, post uh, political content that uh, is deemed offensive by people on the left. Comedians have said that the worst place to do a comedy performance is on a college campus because we now have the sacred right not to be offended. And that circle of what is offensive gets larger all the time. It's ironic that uh, universities, which are supposed to be a marketplace of ideas, have become areas in which free speech is most endangered. Protecting the right of a newspaper such as the New York Times 
or say the National Review to print or disseminate whatever they please or to exclude whatever they please, that's understandable. But Google, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, these these are in many ways more resemble a public utility, a means for people with very different purposes and agendas to uh, sort of set up a stall in the public square and uh, sell what they believe, sell what they know, or sell what they, whatever opinions they might have. Back in the early 1980s, I worked in an office where we used a Radio Shack computer. It was called the TRS-80. And this computer was so buggy that it became known as the Trash-80. The reason was that one could be entering data on this computer. It was unlike today's. It was not connected to any internet. The internet did not exist in most in except maybe in government offices or uh, scientific laboratories or something. It was not a multicolor screen. It was either amber colored or green colored, and it was alphanumeric strictly. But it was useful for accounting and for scientific purposes. So I remember entering data for an accountant, and... The screen, the screen would freeze, and whatever had been entered in the past two, three, four hours was lost, lost for good. And what an effect had been done was the TRS-80 was released without uh, checking to see whether there were design flaws. They came out with a Model Two. Uh, which I understand was quite a bit better. But it's very common to get the, to have, that when one gets the latest computer or the latest gadget, that there are design flaws. And basically what you are when you're the first one on the block with a new technology, uh, you're the, you're the guinea pig. You're the, uh, experiment. You're, you're the person who was experimented upon. You know, um, sometimes some of these names, I mentioned the Trash 80. There's also derisive acronyms for cars that people find to be less than ideal. For instance, Ford is not only the Ford motor car, it's also an acronym found on road debt. A friend of mine who did not have a high opinion of the Fiat uh, told me that Fiat is an acronym for Fix It Again Tony. Why do I mention cars? What, really, what relationship does it have to uh, pharmaceuticals? Well, now... Uh, Pharmaceuticals are advertised on television. I can't count the number of times that I've seen um, ads for medications for 
psoriasis, diabetes, high blood pressure, and uh, sometimes these medications come out. Now they've been approved by the FDA, but when they're tried on a larger body of patients, things come up. Side effects and what have you. One of the success stories of the Food and Drug mm -hmm. Administration was thalidomide. This was in the late 50s, early 60s. It was a medication for morning sickness uh, that was approved in Europe and it was advertised as being completely harmless. It was something that would uh, uh, relieve women of the burden of morning sickness. Unfortunately, it caused in many cases horrific birth defects. People born without arms, legs, all, all, kinds, of, all kinds of things. The United States did not rush to endorse this medication. With the exception of, of uh, women who had connections in Europe and got thalidomide there, America was largely spared this medical debacle. And this was given as a textbook example of why one should not rush to approve medications. Now, uh, when the COVID epidemic came up, there was it was basically presented as a national emergency. There really was national hysteria about it. I mean, it did definitely carry a body count. But the COVID vaccines were rushed through. They were given approval, even though they were in, on an experimental basis. And not only that, people were strong-armed into taking them. Uh, people in entire industries were told either uh, we'll give you hefty bonuses for uh, taking the vaccine or you can't, uh, you can't come to work unless you're vaccinated. Now it turns out uh, that there is plausible evidence that vaccine one, vaccine two, and some people argue that they're not even vaccines, were not totally effective and that some were harmful and that the booster shots, there is persuasive evidence uh, that these caused uh, blood clotting, um, miscarriages, all kinds of terrible stuff. We are only now starting to see um, evidence that some of our confidence in the uh, various COVID vaccines might well have been misplaced. So we have a situation now where there's plenty of freedom to view X-rated material. There's plenty of freedom to walk up to somebody and curse in their face. That's free speech. But a reasonable public discussion about uh, how to contain a dangerous virus at, an ex at, a, at a stage when not much is known about it, that that is under attack. 
we need to have discussion about what free speech is and what it is not. And we also need to discuss and evaluate uh, to what extent uh, inner restraints, politeness, social codes are necessary so that we can share the highway of life together without having 50 car pileups, without just uh, hurting and offending each other, and uh, worse, for no constructive purpose whatsoever. Free speech is under attack as never before. We live in a in changed times in a very different uh, technological social landscape. We need to think not only of free speech, but responsible speech and constructive speech. I thank you all for listening. This wraps up another weekly episode of Between the Presets. I thank you all for the pleasure of sharing with me my weekly muse. Whatever platform you access, hitting like, subscribe, or leaving a comment is much appreciated. My email address is thewinterriders at gmail.com. Thewinterriders at gmail.com. Until next week, adio, which in some African languages means born on Monday or be righteous and closely resembles adios in Spanish.